Hello, and welcome to Core Sampler, the podcast where we drill into the Sitecore community to bring you insights into the work talented people are doing every day on the Sitecore experience platform. Whether you're a developer, a marketer, or both, we're glad you're here. And now your host, Derek Dysart. Welcome to Core Sampler. My name is Derek Dysart. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about user experience. Uh, it's just me this week. And I thought I'd cover UX um, from a kind of a different angle. Uh, as marketers and developers, we're probably very familiar with user experience and how it applies to the websites that we're, that we're developing and deploying and managing on, on Sitecore. Uh, it has to do with kind of the user experience of a visitor to our website. Um, whether the, the the site is usable, can they find the information we want them to find or that they want to find? Uh, are we presenting stuff? Uh, is the site organized properly? And that's, that's a whole discussion I'm not going to get into right here. What I actually want to talk about, uh, and this, this rose out of a couple of conversations I've had with people lately, is the user experience for the content editor. Uh, Sitecore does have its, its, its own framework and its own kind of user interface that we're, we all know and love whether you are a content editor or a marketer, you're used to logging into Sitecore, editing your content, however that is done. And then uh, even as developers, we use that interface to, to develop parts of the site or configure Sitecore. Um, and that's what I really want to want to focus on because I think it's an often overlooked aspect of de developing a website on Sitecore is what is the user experience for the content editor? That may be a, a, a single person if it's a small site, a, a single director of marketing or uh, you know somebody in that that department that manages the content on the site or it could be uh, in the case of a large multinational company, it could be hundreds and hundreds of users that maintain different portions of a large site. Um, and to really kind of to forget kind of about doing the the user experience of what what it's like to use Sitecore for those people is is I think uh, is a disservice to them. I think as a developer. If you're developing the site, you need to take that into consideration. I'm going to cover some high-level things. Uh, definitely check out the show notes. I'm going to link to uh, a number of very good blog posts or links within the Sitecore documentation uh, on where to check out more information. Obviously, in the format of this audio podcast, I'm not going to get into deep technical details, but um, you know, just a, just an overview. There's something to kind of get you thinking of when I'm developing Sitecore and when I'm developing the site. Put your head in the in in the in the place of the content editor and make that experience um, make that experience good for them as well. So they're able to actually do their job and maintain the content of the site. So I think that the, the best place to start is when you log into Sitecore. Uh, we've all seen the, the, the login page, um, whether you go back to the Sitecore seven and six timeframes or, or even more modern on the, on the Sitecore eight platform. And one of the, you know, we touched on this when I had Cam Ruse on the show, he had kind of found a way to put branding on that login page. So it's, I mean, is doesn't make so much usability, but it also, I mean, a lot of large companies will invest time in uh, customizing their PC desktop such that uh, the, their desktop backgrounds show branded imagery. They kind of keeping people in the mindset of staying on brand within their organization. And it's another place that you can do that. And it's a minimal, it's a minimal investment of time to kind of brand the Sitecore login page. 
Um, and that's a, you know, it's a good place to start. It's minimal effort. Uh, uh, next on that scale, I think with a little bit more effort, but definitely offers a lot more usability is to do Active Directory integration, especially if you're running Sitecore or even your Sitecore content management server on premises. And even if you're not running on premises, depending on kind of where your hosting is at, you may be able to extend your Active Directory out into your hosting environment. Um, that's kind of, again, beyond the, the, the scope of the show, but something to, something to potentially investigate. By using Active Directory integration, you're not having to manage users within Sitecore. So some Sitecore administrator is not going to have to make sure that uh, the new content editor's login is set up and they have the appropriate roles and so forth. The content editor can log in with their Active Directory credentials, just like they would log into their desktop. And that makes, that makes the experience a lot easier. It's one less password to remember. Uh, if your corporation has a password expiration policy, it is a, when somebody changes their password, it changes it on Sitecore. So it's, it's one less thing for your Sitecore content editors to have to remember. Um, it's a, you know, it's not as simple as changing out the branding, but it's, it's, it's definitely a highly supported module within Sitecore to be able to, uh, change it so that it uses Active Directory for authentication. Um, it's definitely one worth checking out. Moving on, kind of to once we were logged in, what are what are some of the things? And I think there's a there's a running joke within the Sitecore development community is that one of the hardest things to do with Sitecore development, and it obviously takes the longest amount of time, is actually choosing icons. Um, and I mean, you can, you can kind of laugh at it if, if, if you want, but it's, there, there is value in doing that and choosing appropriate icons for different parts of the Sitecore content tree, whether that's, uh, you, when you create a template to represent some, some business entity within the Sitecore content tree, setting an appropriate icon for that. Uh, last I looked, there's something on the order of 16,000 different icons. And we all know that there's that many there. And just like TV, there's a ton of channels, but nothing's ever on. We never actually want uh, any of those icons, we want our own. And so it is actually possible to add your own custom icons to it. It's a, it's a fairly straightforward process. You have to create a specially formatted zip file, put it into a certain location within Sitecore, but those icons then become usable within the Sitecore content tree and being available to be chosen as an icon. But all joking aside, icons definitely help with recognition. They help the content editor kind of scan large, large sections of, of data and actually be able to pick pick out certain things. If they know they need to edit a product or a, a particular, say, a product description item, and there's a, a well-known icon for that, then they're able to pick that out of a long list. So it's, it's definitely, you know, as much as we love to joke about picking icons being kind of a fiddly part of the Sitecore development, there's definitely something to be said uh, of the value of doing so. Moving kind of to the next part I wanted to kind of cover is, is looking at renderings and data sources. And we'll, we'll, um, kind of get a little bit into what those enable. But when you create a rendering or data source, um, I think one of the, one of the things that you need to, be cognizant of is be sure to set your placeholder settings. And if you don't know what placeholder settings do, when you have a placeholder on a particular layout or sub layout or rendering, um, 
it will constrain what other renderings can be put into that placeholder. And what, what you think you think about what you're doing there is you're helping, you're kind of taking the content editor's hand and making sure they don't put something like the header logo in the footer, or they don't take, um, they don't take a, you know, large carousel item and put it into the right rail of your layout. Um, so it's, it's kind of taking the user by the hand, giving them, you know, some constraints to, to stay within whatever design guidelines you have on the site, uh, codifying those into placeholder settings and then, you know, basically only allowing users to input the, the appropriate data into the various sections of their website. So it's something that is something to definitely keep in mind. Um, a lot of times the experience editor, which we'll talk about in a little bit, doesn't, doesn't work all that well unless you have the placeholder settings set, but um, definitely it's a process you need to do. And it's something to keep in mind from a UX standpoint of what items or what of which of my renderings are appropriate in which placeholder. Uh, staying with re- staying with renderings, I think another one is, and this is one I'm incredibly guilty of not doing, but setting thumbnails on your rendering. This is when you go to insert a new rendering in the experience editor. It gives you kind of a list of, you know, if you have your placeholder settings set appropriately, it gives you a list of here are all the renderings you can put in there. And by default, you get uh, a grid of blue squares. And so you're kind of dependent on how those renderings were named. Are they named something that, oh, yeah, I do need that carousel, so I know I can pick the carousel. But if you have a, you know, something else that's maybe a little, maybe not well named or uh, several things that are kind of named similar, you know, say if you have a an accordion container and you have several different accordion sections that can go in there and they all have different bits of functionality, they may all have accordion in their name and it may be confusing. Confusing, but having some sort of thumbnail uh, defined in the rendering is makes it makes picking those out a lot easier. And it, again, it goes along with uh, the concept of picking icons. It, it allows your content editor to see those items a lot easier. Um, the icon is set in the actual rendering definition. So the same place you're going to set either if you're using web forms, the user control, uh, the path to the ASCX file, or if it's a, you know, if you're using MVC, the, the information for the controller or the view, if you, you have to turn on standard fields, but there is a thumbnail field that is used. Um, there's a screen grabbing tool, but I would, I would highly suggest using some sort of custom graphic. Uh, you can upload a custom graphic into the media library. Maybe you put it in a system section or a system folder in there. And now you have your thumbnails that represent what each of those renderings are. So you have one that shows here's our tab container and here's a tab page or here's a tab page that has two columns and all of that information, all those kind of design elements kind of flow right into the icon on that rendering such that when somebody inserts a new rendering while they're using the experience editor, that that icon is right there to let them pick the most appropriate, uh, the most appropriate icon. So I think kind of a final thing to keep in mind is also making sure you set data source locations on your renderings appropriately. It may make sense where you have several kind of shared data sources and you have a, you define a location where those all live. 
um, it would probably be best to kind of have one per rendering if you're going to have kind of these global shared data sources um, such that when they go to pick a new one, they may not see, they're going to see all the items in that folder, but only the ones that are available to be picked um, are going to be highlighted. The other ones will be kind of grayed out. Same thing with if you have page-specific data source locations. Uh, and there's a various number of ways to to set those up. But um, having them such that when they go to insert a new rendering, now they picked one, they've, they, you have a nice icon, they pick that. And then now they're presented with a list of on an existing site, maybe there's a list of like a hundred data source items there. It's just really kind of hard. Um, there's obviously the search functionality, but making the content editor's job a lot easier is kind of limiting those to the data sources that are appropriate for that rendering. So something just to keep in mind of just setting your data source location as opposed to just allowing people to put their data source items kind of all over. So as we're talking about rendering and data source locations, I guess the the you know the the biggest overarching thing here and I th I think this has become less and less of an issue as more and more folks in the secure community have been kind of banging the drum of using data sources but what data sources allow you to do is actually use the experience editor and it you know this is a part of Sitecore that demos really well a lot of other content management servers have in place uh, they have in-place editing, such like the experience editor, but the experience editors where a lot of kind of the, the magic of Sitecore is easiest to, to do. So it, it allows the content editor to edit their content in place. They can see kind of in real time, how is this going to look? Does this image fit? Uh, does the heading on this hero image, does it conflict with where the actual, you know, subject in the image is? Is there, you know, you, you, you get that kind of, uh, immediate feedback. And if you don't allow that, you're doing your, you're doing your content editors a, a, a big disservice. Uh, again, I don't think, uh, in today's day and age, uh, there's been enough of us out there kind of banging the drum of you need to enable the experience editor. And it even goes back to before, you know, the version eight, you need to enable the page editor. Um, but if you're not, if, you, if you're not doing that or if it's not familiar, I think you're really, you're kind of, you're, you're hamstringing a lot of the functionality that Sitecore brings to the table if you don't use that. But with the page editor, you do have to realize a couple things. One, Sitecore is going to wrap a lot of your components, specifically your renderings, in a bunch of extra markup. So you need to make sure your front-end developers are aware of this. I've run into issues where certain CSS selectors, maybe they're selecting the, the direct descendant, um, which works when the site is rendered kind of not in the page editor, but now where Sitecore kind of wraps a couple extra divs so they have kind of these nice edit frames around things, now maybe the CSS breaks. It's definitely something to be something to be aware of. The other the other issue is some of these components that we build, uh, how do you make an editing experience for it? I think a classic example is say you have a image rotator. It's a you know large carousel uh, that rotates through a bunch of images. Um, maybe there's some JavaScript that, you know, has it on a timer that it switches every, you know, so over many seconds, but how, what does the editing experience look like for that? Um, my, my experience has been instead of kind of let's, let's disable that. So 
in your rendering, you have to be able to detect, and it's 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 fairly simple. It's it's on the um, it's on the context. You can t- check the page mode and see are you you can do kind of an if test. Am I in the experience editor? And maybe you emit some extra CSS that disables the the auto rotator, and instead of having all those images kind of rotate through, maybe they're all stacked on top of each other. The, it's less of kind of what you see is what you get editing because now instead of you know one image height you have however many slides stacked on top of each other but now the the content editor can look at all the slides in their entirety edit them rearrange them by moving moving renderings around um so it's something to be aware of there's there's other there's other kind of design metaphors where it may not necessarily make sense to uh, continue that design metaphor when you're in the experience editor. Another one I've run into is kind of a tab control. Say if you have a page with, you know, kind of five sub tabs on it, uh, that have various information on you know, whatever is on that page. Um, you may via CSS and detecting that I'm in the, I'm, I'm rendering inside the experience editor. You may want to render that out more like an accordion container. So now you can see instead of all the tabs, uh, along one part, you know, all these are now look like various sections of an accordion and kind of use that design metaphor uh, so that somebody can go through and actually edit all that information. The other part, too, is maybe there is data on the page and I'm thinking kind of SEO data like the page title or the meta description or some of that information. Um, that's not necessarily information that's visually rendered on the page, but you need to give the page, you know, you need to give your content editor an ability to edit that. So maybe you render those fields out only when you're rendering in the in the page editor or the experience editor so that they can edit that information and not have to go back to the content editor. Um, kind of an advanced technique, um, and I've had this on my list to blog about for a while. I've implemented um, various ways of, you know, we talked about using shared data sources before. I, I've run into and I've heard stories from content editors where they're editing a page and they're editing something on the page and it works great and they save it and they didn't realize they were editing a shared component. And now that's actually been changed on all pages on the site where that shared component is used. So there's there are a few, um, for the developers out there, there are a few pipelines you can hook into to, to, to actually wrap um, wrap the markup of your rendering in further, um, in, in some further markup. And, and what I, you know, in the, in the situation I did was detect that, detect that we're rendering a shared data source and wrap an additional div around it that got styled. Um, and then basically just put a nice border around it and a little kind of little flag in the corner that said, hey, this is shared. So it was an indicator to the content editor that, hey, you can still go ahead and edit this, but realize if you edit this, you may be affecting other pages. So like I mentioned, I've had I've had that on the backlog to uh, blog about for quite a while because I have some proof of concept code on that. And maybe maybe finally talking about it and getting out in the wild will will kind of give me the kick in the pants to actually write it up. But it's um. Uh, something to, something to consider there's, you know, and I'll link to some other kind of, I'll link to some other blog posts that, um, have some good examples on how to do that. 
So finally, I think going back to the content editor, there are a number of things you can do. Um, we, you know, we kind of touched on the icon uh, and in setting icons on your content, uh, making finding things within the content editor a lot easier. Um, a, a lot of times people aren't aware there's gutter indicators that you can uh, enable and they show up in the content tree. And uh, a great benefit of the PowerShell extensions is they have a ton of kind of sample how to extend those gutter indicators to uh, do various kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's just kind of a little indicator, or a little flag that appears next to that item in the in the content tree that signifies stuff. So a lot of times people have that and it'll signify that an item is locked, meaning some other content editor is is, is editing that or maybe there's indicators where you know certain validations aren't passing um, so you can go in and look and say oh maybe here are all the images that we forgot to populate an alt tag on or something like that so it, it's something to keep in keep in mind um, some kind of advanced maneuvers on that is under the appearance section if you enable the the standard fields under the appearance section there is an actual field called style and you can actually put CSS classes in there and it will affect how the item name is rendered so for example, if you had a, a template item that's kind of a, you know, it's an internal system item, um, you may want to dim the uh, dim the text a little bit so it doesn't show out. It's maybe kind of indicates it's not necessarily that it's disabled, but it's you know it, you can you can do that. You can you know, you can set the color in there. You can you can put a border around it if you wanted, or you know you've got access to the full CSS and that gets rendered out in the in the content tree. Um, it's usable. Um, I can't think of a time I've actually used it, but um, it, it was definitely something to do. And then I guess the final part with a content editor is if you are, um, if you are going to do any sort of customization on that side in terms of adding new buttons to the ribbon or kind of, you know, adding some custom functionality inside the editing experience, um, then, you know, making that available in a number of different places. So you maybe you'll have a button on the ribbon, but then maybe also add something to the context menu, because I think content editors all operate differently. If you think about if you're using Windows and you're you're in the file system, some people like to drag and drop files from one place to another. Others may like to use control C, control V, so they, they're used to those keyboard shortcuts. Maybe somebody will go up to the actual menu and say copy, and they'll go to the different different folder, and then they'll paste it. So if you think about it, people kind of just operating in different modes and giving that functionality to your content editors isn't a bad idea. Uh, it, it allows them to kind of do their work. And speaking of work, I think I'll wrap it up with workflow. Workflow is if, if you're using workflow, usually there's a there's a solid business requirement behind it. Uh, if you work in a highly regulated industry such as healthcare or medical devices or the financial services industry, where there are certain regulations that must be followed and your content must be approved through various different steps, um, obviously you have to model your workflow in order to comply with that. Um, but the other part is making sure that it's, it's usable and that people understand it. So that, that is looking at, um, looking at the actions that you define on each workflow step. So that if, you know, if you have, uh, you know, certain people can, 
take action on something in a, in a certain workflow step and kick it back to another one. Just kind of looking at the flow of your workflow uh, in terms of do I need to create actual action, you know, extra actions on my workflow or do I need to rename them um, such that they make more sense? So I think it's it's taking that kind of uh, that that approach to make sure you're designing that appropriately. And that's just kind of scratching the surface. Like I said, I've you know I ha- I've had a couple discussions where I think. Uh, you can kind of tell the developers hadn't like, oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about uh, the content editor. And it's not that we didn't think about the content editor. A lot of times we're really focused on actually getting the site out and not taking the time to step back and think there are actually two consumers of our software. In this case, we're writing software that's going to run within Sitecore and there's the end user, the visitor to the site. Uh, and there may be, you know, through personas and all that, there may be multiple types of end users there. But then there's also users of uh, that are going to log into Sitecore and actually edit that content. You have to you have to take them into consideration as well when you're building out your solution and make sure that the site is still usable for them. So, yeah, it was just uh, something that came to mind. Maybe you have some ideas on how to improve the usability for content editors. I'd love to hear from you guys. I, 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 I've been loving the, the feedback on the show. Definitely like hearing from uh, from everyone that's out there listening. Send me a note. The email is info at coresampler.fm, or if you go to coresampler.fm, there's a contact tab. You can you can reach us there. You know, in general, I don't really cover a lot of the you know breaking news, if you will. Uh, in the Sitecore world, I want these, these podcasts to kind of be evergreen. Um, but if you are indeed listening to this, uh, near its release, um, just today was announced the Subcon EU location. It's going to be in Amsterdam. Uh, and more information can be found at www.sugcon.eu. Uh, I am hoping to attend and I hope you are as well. Uh, there'll be a lot of great information available. Uh, the dates are also available on that, on that site. It's coming up in May. Uh, if you haven't registered, I, I have it under good authority. The registration will be opening very, very soon. So I will be booking my travel home probably as soon as I get done recording this. And I uh, hope to see you guys in Amsterdam in May. Uh, if you're listening to this beyond then, you know, check out what's what's coming up. We obviously got Symposium coming up in October. And I know those probably will not be the last uh, the last Sitecore events. Uh, if you're in the Milwaukee area, definitely come out to the Milwaukee Sitecore uh, meetup. We uh, we had a great, uh, great turnout last uh, last month in February. We got another one coming up here in April uh, and then beyond that, we'll be doing one in June. So uh, check out uh, check out the links and show notes to uh, the Milwaukee Psychor meetup or Subcon or, you know, definitely I know I'll see a lot of you guys in symposium. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate the uh, the feedback you guys have been given and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Core Sampler. To see show notes from this and past episodes, please visit coresampler.fm. There you can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and then go to iTunes to rate and comment on our show. Even if you're using a different app to listen to us, those ratings and reviews really do help others find us. Are you a professional working with Sitecore and interested in joining the show? Or would you like to leave some feedback directly? We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at coresampler.fm. That is all for this episode of Core Sampler. We'll see you next time.